right. Well, I'm not Dave, and Craig isn't Dave, but together we're going to pretend. <laughs> I'm excited to be here. Uh, we're we're going to hold the fort down, and we have some great guests lined up today, Brian. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, starting with John, John Berge. Um, now, yeah, populace, um, yeah, this is an eco-friendly play, and uh, urban development, um, and you know, we were talking offline here, uh, you're doing a big project in Pioneer Square up here in the Seattle area where I'm from. Right. Um, why don't you just jump in and just you know, kind of run the table on us here in terms of, you know, what is populous, you know, particularly from the standpoint of being the first carbon positive hotel sort of a thing. But also I'm very interested in, in the whole urban villages concept. Absolutely. You know, it really starts with uh, stewardship, stewardship for the planet, stewardship for the communities we work in, and then stewardship for our investors. And the entire premise of not only urban villages, but every project that we do, including Populous and our project in Seattle, Railspur, um, start with that, um, those pillars that we have to achieve those at extraordinary um, returns in order to do a project. Um, when it comes to the environment specifically, uh, we're facing an earth emergency like the human species has never seen before. And yeah. we really have to start changing the way that we do things in order to uh, mitigate the risks of climate change. What a lot of people don't realize is that 40% of greenhouse gas emissions today come from buildings. Uh, in addition, over 60% of the materials that we throw in our landfills come from construction waste. We cannot effectively address climate change unless we start with the real estate industry. And that really catches people off guard because people don't think of um, buildings as the major culprit. They think of single occupancy vehicles and, and other things. It's not about buildings, but it really is. You know, we, um, we've really started with um, how can we look at building projects that are better for the planet and still are building communities and um, providing great returns for our investors. You mentioned Populous in Denver, Colorado. Populous yeah. will be a completion next spring, the, the first carbon positive hotel in the entire United States. And when we say carbon positive, what we mean by that is that at completion, we will have sequestered taken out more carbon than we will have emitted in both building the building and operating the building. Um, and that's really key because um, climate change is really all about carbon. It's about having too much carbon in the atmosphere every year. And so by doing a project in this way, by building a building that has the lowest carbon emissions possible, and then in addition to that, sequestering the rest of the carbon out of the atmosphere through planting trees, we're able to really truly leave the planet in a better place than we found it. I love wow. this. this is so your passion is seeping through the, the screen and, and i know you're i'm sure you're very intentional with what you do and i'm just curious this is the first one as you mentioned why denver you know denver um is very forward when it comes to environmental stewardship um, the people that moved to colorado moved to colorado primarily because of a love of nature, a love of the mountains, a love of the climate we have here. So we have a lot of outdoor minded people, a lot of environmental stewards that live here and a lot of tourists that come to Colorado come and stop in Denver on the way to the mountains. And so a lot of people are thinking about the health of the planet when they're here. And we really position this hotel to be um, in the forefront of thinking about the planet and thinking about how we're in synergy with the environment. And so we think Denver is actually the perfect place to start this. 
but certainly not the the last place. And I think that a lot of markets, including Seattle, where you're at, Blaine, I think uh, is also a very environmentally conscious community. And so these kind of projects, um, we think, have uh, the, the momentum to happen all over the country and all over the world. I think you know, we could really use when I was going to say we could really use one out here in the Big Apple. Yeah, <laughs> boy. Yeah, cool things down out there just a little bit. Yeah. What were you going to say, Blaine? Yeah. Well, just, real quick question here. Um, yeah, I'm on the um, um, board of the uh, World Business Academy, and the Academy's mission is uh, kind of captured in their uh, logo, uh, business taking responsibility for the whole. And, I mean, they mean that in a very literal sense. Uh, the most pervasive force on the planet is business. Everything, everything that business does touches something that we as humans interact with. So I'm, I'm struck by 40% of carbon in the atmosphere is consequence of architecture, buildings, you know, construction. And 60% of landfill is now is, is, is construction-based uh, detritus. How have you, see the idea of throwing things away, designing for, designing for uh, recycling. I mean, literally designing for health and well-being. So there's no throwing away. What is the challenge that you actually, in your organization, John, actually overcame such that you're able to build a carbon neutral uh, uh, hotel? I mean, this is a large building. Yeah. And you've got other projects that are kind of tracking in the same direction. So what's the major you know, obstacle from a traditional construction perspective? Yeah. And you know, you, you touched on a couple of really important points, Brian. And, you know, Craig, you're you're dialing it from New York City. And um, I'm going to throw out a statistic that I think is going to um, really shock you and maybe resonate. Right now, the world is building the equivalent square footage of buildings as Manhattan every 35 days. And what that means is in the next 12 to 15 years, we are going to double the square footage of buildings on Earth. So this problem is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And one of the results is because of the fact that we're building buildings that don't last and we're tearing them down and rebuilding. And that leads to the construction waste and landfills. Um, that leads to a, a major, major problem. You know, we often we sort of started our business with the mantra that the, the greenest building is the one you don't build. So if you can renovate a building and not build a brand new building, that's the greenest thing that you can do. And I think that's, that's really important. Last year, it's estimated that over 400,000 structures were demolished in the United States. So we cannot just continue to build buildings that are short-term buildings and then tear them down and rebuild new ones. We have to build buildings to last. And you know, Populous is a project that is a new building. It's a carbon positive building that's been designed and constructed to last hundreds of years. This is going to be an iconic part of the skyline of Denver, and I fully expect that it will be a vibrant part of our city in two, three hundred years. And that's a really important part is it's not just about offsetting your carbon. It's actually a very, very critical part to build a building that's going to last. And then, you know, Blaine, we talked about before we started the project in Seattle. That is a collection, a city block of buildings that were built in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And yeah, we're going in. We're we're fully seismically upgrading those buildings. We're um, improving them to elite platinum standards so that they're energy efficient. We're essentially essentially giving these historic hundred plus year old buildings another two or three hundred years of useful life. And I think that's a really critical part about the sustainability conversation as well. 
Yeah, the, yeah I, I love the timeline that you're working with. Uh, <laughs> hundred year. I mean, yeah, yeah, we're not talking about five year whole periods. <laughs> one of the questions I'll ask my clients when I'm working with them from a leadership development perspective and just from a life development perspective is what's your hundred year vision? And it's, it stops people dead in the tracks. Now, what's your hundred year vision? Now you're not going to be around in a hundred years, but if you were setting something in motion, what would you love it to be? And what I'm hearing you say is that you would love to have a building that is standing and, and actually contributing to the health and well-being of, of society. Absolutely. And I, and I would go a step further that I hope that we can, as a company, continue to be ahead of the curve as far as environmental stewardship and community stewardship in such a way that we're showing people how to make money doing the right thing. And if we can do that, you mentioned business is really the major engine of our world. We can talk about politics. We can talk about regulations and all those things. But if you really want to make change, you have to show people how to make money doing the right thing. And I think that if I could say, what is our 100-year vision as a company? I want to be able to um, be at the forefront of showing people that you can actually hit market-setting returns on investment, doing something that's responsible and doing something that's right. And that will then have a compounding effect where more and more developers, more and more investors are actually doing the same thing and replicating this type of work. I love it. You're showcasing to everybody that you can actually add value to the right thing and make a lot of money doing it. There's nothing wrong with making money. And that's something that we remind ourselves every day. It's actually important because it creates the opportunities to make the positive impacts that we make. Right. And, and then you could do other stuff like build eco-friendly buildings. Exactly. Yeah. Why is, I'm just curious because every, it's, the passion's contagious, obviously. And this is obviously very dear to your heart why the eco-friendly thing like what is it about that and trying to change the perception of the world and make the world a better place as cliche as that sounds why is that so important to you you know craig i grew up in the mountains of colorado and i spent my weekends wandering through the woods and admiring the natural world and at that time i didn't think it would ever go away i thought that it was forever going to be intact and as i've gotten older i've realized that that part of our world that I love so much is at risk. And it's very much an immediate risk. You know, I have three young children today and I think about how much has changed in our world from when I was their age to where I am now. It's extraordinary. And what's even more eye-opening is how much is going to change between today and when they're my age. This is not something that like our grandkids have to worry about. I mean, this is something that our lives are going to see this continue to impact in all sorts of ways that we don't realize. And so from my perspective, it's about loving the environment and loving the natural ecosystems that we get to play in, that we get to camp in and realizing that they are at risk and they are not going to be protected unless we change some things. And that to me starts with business. It cannot be regulated to the finish line. It has to be that the business community, the investment community as a part of, of solving this and fixing it. Beautifully said, love it. That is great. Now, yeah, you're, you're basically Urban Village. Um, you do architecture, you do the construction. I mean, you, you've got the full, the full domain here kind of captured in a, in a, you know, that full vertical. Uh, mm -hmm. What has shifted on, on the construction side? You know, we've talked a little bit about that. But on the architectural side, is there any innovations that you are actually bringing to the table from an architectural context? that is consistent with what it is that you're talking about right now? 
Yeah, I'll give you a very concrete example. Um, steel <laughs> and concrete carry the yeah. biggest embodied carbon footprint of buildings. Concrete is actually an ex extremely carbon intensive material to produce. And our populous project in Denver is utilizing for the very first time in a commercial project, a fly ash substitute concrete. And in doing that, we're actually reducing the carbon footprint of our building by over 30%. So a very simple switch in how we use the materials and it's not coming at an additional material cost. It's not coming at any yeah. major cost of the project. And yet our carbon footprint, you know, our impact on the planet is, is positive, is, is, is moving in the positive direction. And so we're constantly looking at material. We're constantly looking at ways to make our buildings more energy efficient. Um, and it, it really is about design, about materiality. Yeah. Yeah. That's great, John. Where, where can people find out more about urban villages you know, and, and what, what it is that you're up to? Yeah, I mean, we're very active on social media. So okay. follow us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, on LinkedIn. I know we're airing on LinkedIn. Um, we're constantly talking about our projects and about the things that we're innovating with. Uh, our website's www.urban-villages.com. Um, you can get a lot of information there and uh, and to reach out. We would love to. Our, our real mission is to be able to share what we're doing so that others follow suit. That's great. Well, well, I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, Craig, any last words? Yeah, thank you so much. Literally, you're making the world a better place. I love the mindset. I love why you're doing it. I'm so excited to see how it plays out. And, and like you said, it might be the first, but this is not going to be the last. And just congratulations to you. And I'm so excited to watch this unfold. Yeah, the thank next you time both. I'm in Denver, I'm gonna, when does the hotel open? Uh, next spring. So probably okay. May, June of next year. <clears throat> okay. Good. Well, we'll see you in Denver. Denver periodically. Yeah, I'll come on down. We'll, we'll, you know, you know, Same. You can buy me a drink in the bar. I love it. Make it too. <laughs> exactly. Thank you, John. John, thank, Virginia. You, thank you guys. Oh, Craig, that was great. Now, hey, what have you been up to? Let's, uh, you know, our, our next guest isn't quite in the studio yet. So, you know, we get the chance to little, you know, little riffing here. So, us. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna just carry this. Or sorry, just got here, but I, I wanna. I want. What are you up to? I haven't talked to you for a while. We got the book coming out, our first book, the Reinvention Formula, August fifteenth. So, so many things going into this. Between that, speaking all over the place, the podcast, spreading the message, running a business, coaching the communities, the podcast, planning a wedding. As you may have heard in the background, we just got a puppy who's like my yep. son. But that's a full-time job, and he wants to bark during office hours for some reason. So what have I not been up to? Just going 100 miles an hour. But just to be clear, as Dave likes to say, this is not overwhelmed. It's abundance. It's, it's an abundance. Yeah, absolutely. And our next guest is here. Uh, sorry, Ibrahim. Hey, guys. How are you doing? Good how are you? Good, good. Thank you. Can you guys hear me fine? Yes. Yep. Yep. Doing good. good. So yeah, thanks, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Oh, pleasure. Pleasure to have you here. Uh, David is uh, in Italy right now, and it's after midnight there. So we apologize for his absence. Uh, we'll get you back on the show when uh, you can actually have an interaction with him as well. Yeah, that'll be nice. Yeah. Okay, but, but you good. get us too, and that might even be better, if I'm being honest. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is a twofer. <laughs> yeah. This worked out really well. So... You've got a new book out, um, Thinking Like a Bank, and it's designed to help you learn more about growing safe and predictable wealth, asset protection, and becoming your own source of financing. So what, 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 
I, yeah, I've read a number of books that are kind of in this uh, same genre. What's your unique take on this, Sorry. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a lot of problems, right, in, in the financial services world. Like if you wanted to invest right now, you go to your financial advisor, he or she may recommend, you know, stocks, bonds, mutual funds. And I, and I see a place and a, and, a, and a time for that, a time and a place for that. But I, I think that there's other alternatives. So that's what I discussed in the book. I discussed that there's other alternatives to traditional financial planning. I also talk about how there are ways for you to become your own source of financing, for you to essentially skip the banks, become your own source of financing. So, yeah, I, I think what my message is, the, the brand I'm trying to build, I'm trying to show others how they could take control of their financial life, like on podcasts like this, as well as on our podcast, which is called Thinking Like a Bank. Mm -hmm. yeah. Think, thinking Like a Bank. Yeah, yeah I, I love this so much. And I love your mindset. And one of the cool things that you talk about is that you don't actually need to be a banker or in the banking industry, but you could still copy these strategies to help you improve your financial life in other areas. Is that right? A hundred percent. Yeah. So the content I talk about is not just for people in the financial services world, but anyone really a lot, a lot of it is tailored for business owners and real estate investors, which is probably like 20% of the, the, the U S population, maybe, maybe a little bit more than that. So I, I try to be, I want to help as many people as possible using these strategies. So yeah, definitely. And you don't have to be in the banking industry or the financial services industry to, to apply these, to apply these uh, principles that we talk about in the book. You know, Greg. No, oh, she's yeah. Yeah. No, the, um, you know, my wife and I got you know kind of exposed to the concept. Of, there, what's the puppy's name, Craig? <laughs> Whiskey. You, you just set my dogs off. <laughs> I was wondering. I was like, he stopped. Was that an echo? That's awesome. <laughs> you just set mine off. That's great. Okay, guys, settle down. <laughs> My wife and I got exposed to uh, the, the notion of being our own personal banker a whole bunch of years ago. And, you know, we started exploring ways that that could actually be done. And I'd be interested from your perspective, you know, what are some of the strategies that can be used to actually position yourself as being your own banker? I know you know, universal life policy is, is one you know, strategy that you can actually play with and work with. But you end up um, borrowing money from the you know from the policy at a very low interest rate, pay it back in, and and basically it funds a whole lot of stuff. And I don't have yeah, to go to a bank for that. Exactly. Yeah. Precisely. Yeah. So it could be a universal life policy. It could be a whole life policy. You have cash in it. You can instead of taking that cash out and withdrawing from it, you could take out a loan against it. That loan that you take out against it, you could do anything you want. You can go out buy real estate. You can buy real estate as an active investor where you're in charge of the property, you're in charge of everything, or you go out and you do it as a limited partner and a fund or a syndication. So there's a lot you could do. I think that that's, that's, that's another thing that we help our clients with. We do a couple of things. We help them structure these life policies, and then we help them leverage the cash in the policies to invest in other places. And the advantage is people are like, well, why, why do all that extra work? Uh, there's, there's a lot of there's tax reasons behind that. There's asset protection reasons for that. Um, I think a, a, a simple way to explain it, one of the simple reasons why people do it is when you have the cash inside, they're growing and then you leverage it, you borrow against it. It's almost like your money is doing two things for you at the same time. The, the first place it was growing and earning compound interest. And the second place is invested in different places, whether that's real estate or your own business or other businesses. That's kind of the part of the thinking like a bank 
principle is that your money grows in, in multiple places. Yeah, this is great. And I love, I want to acknowledge you for a second because I, I know one of the, the many cool things that you do is you pride yourself on attending all client meetings and you always put the client first without any expectations or ideas to ensure that you're solving all their problems. And what's cool about that is you don't treat this as like a one size fits all. For, for financial stuff and for each client, I imagine it's a case by case, right? 100% Craig. Yeah, definitely. It's, it has to, it has to be tailored specifically for clients because people have different scenarios and situations. Like I just had a meeting with two clients who are in their sixties. They have some money in qualified IRAs already. That conversation is going to be completely different than somebody who's, you know, 30 years old. They're kind of climbing the corporate ladder. They want to do real estate on the side. It's going to be the, the solutions, the strategies are all going to be different based off of their people's income, based off of their net worth, based off their goals. People have different goals, different, different things in mind, uh, based off of their family values, their business values, where they live, where they want to live. All these things have to be taken into consideration. So when we, we, when we work with clients, one of the first things we do is we have something called the financial analysis meeting. This is so we, I, I want to understand who the client is, their financial situation, but also where they want to go in life. And then from there, then I would create a strategy that's relevant to them based on their, based on their situation. How do people find, uh, you know, th th this is a non-traditional approach. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and most people aren't, and I'm going to say this, you know, just from experience, I don't know that it's you know, categorically true, but generalized. Most people kind of tend to shy away from non-traditional approaches to financial conversations, financial processes, financial strategies. How are you overcoming that initial hesitancy, if you will, uh, so that people are actually kind of going, you know, and they lean in So tell me more. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And I do get that a lot. I do get that pushback a lot. Yeah. Um, like, why not just do the traditional financial planning route? What's wrong with that? I think that it's not so much about the title of what things are called, like what the strategies are called, but rather what they do. And not only what they do, but also what they've done in the past, like the track record for those products or those services. I, the strategies we talk about, a lot of real estate investors know it as infinite banking or, you know, the bank on yourself strategy. A lot of these strategies have They've been in, they've been around for like over 100 years. These insurance companies have been around for over 100 years. The same way that insurance, you know, the way the op, the way that insurance companies operate is very different from other companies. So, I, I that's what I try to influence clients on. I, sh I try to show them how the safety and the predictability behind these insurance companies and these strategies. Again, it doesn't matter. I don't think I don't think it matters what it's called. It's matter. It matters what it can do and what what it's what they've done. What these products and these things, these services have done. In the, in the past. I love it. And it's great because 2023, like the markets, inflation, it could be very unpredictable, right? And, and you take pride in being super intentional and strategic so that you can make people's wealth be sort of predictable and you could put them in something where they, they can kind of visualize what they can be expecting to earn. Is that right? Exactly. Yes, exactly. I want I want clients to see the their their financial road as clear as possible and not necessarily hope that it works out because that's how traditional financial planning works. It's all right, we're going to set up these brokerage accounts. We're going to set up these qualified accounts. We're going to invest in the stock market. We're going to do these things. And if, if everything goes in, in order or everything goes as we predict or project, 
then it's gonna it's gonna work out. And if it doesn't, then things have to change. That's when people have to get part-time jobs in retirement. They have to do other things. They have to sometimes not, they have to extend their retirement. They can't retire because of what the market did. And and put financial planning aside. Think of it more from like a reactionary standpoint. Where you're only you're only gonna do something based off of how the market acts or performs. And I think that's kind of like a backwards way of life. That's like saying, you know, I'm only going to do something if the external is going to happen. And and really with the strategies we help our clients with, it's the opposite of that. We're going to do something intentionally, be proactive about it, and then have certainty that retirement is going to be there, that the income in retirement is going to be there. And then the, the risks are going to be exposed, like the market risk, the tax risk, creditor risk. These are risks are going to be uh, mitigated or some in some situations even eliminated. So yeah, definitely. I think predictability should be in your portfolio. If you have to just hope and pray that your your money is going to be there in the future, I think that's probably a, a very risky way of, of, of living financially. So you mean hoping and praying is not a good strategy? <laughs> <laughs> I got an investment I've been praying on for a long time. <laughs> There's two things that you mentioned here that uh, kind of triggered something in my mind. You know, one is you know, just kind of how people name things, you know, just that whole process. And it reminded me of a quote uh, from uh, Claude Monet, you know, the painter. Uh, in order to see, we must forget the name of the things we're looking at. And there, there's something in that because when we start labeling something, we put it in a box and then it becomes, yeah, <laughs> you, you get captured by that. You can't move beyond it. And, when I started this whole journey of looking at what does it mean to be a banker, you know, my, mm -hmm. a banker myself, I had to let go of the name and look at, okay, what is it that I'm really looking for? What is it that I'm really looking at? And that opened up all kinds of different possibilities. So what I'm hearing, uh, sorry, is, you know, one thing that you're doing here is you're positioning possibility in the minds of your clients that wouldn't typically exist if, they weren't actually in a conversation with you that was reorganizing their thinking. Is that a fair assessment? Exactly. Yes. Yeah, definitely. It takes an open mind to implement these strategies. I'm sure you, like, like you had an open mind implementing your financial strategies, right? Using this, using this concept, it, it takes an open mind. You kind of have to put conventional wisdom aside because the thing is, is conventional wisdom hasn't always worked. I think that in some situations it does work. Like one of the, I guess, core ideas of conventional wisdom is, stay out of debt i think overall yeah that's good advice but not not for everyone right for a lot of real estate investors that's how they that's how they're able to grow their empires is through debts right through mortgages and lines of credit uh, mm -hmm. and for others they it, it kind of there's been more harm around around debt so I, I love how you mentioned that yeah it's not about the the thing that it's called but rather what it could do and it takes really like an open mindset, an abundant mindset to be able to look at things beyond what they've been trained to look at in the past and, and taught because most people are, most people have conventional standards or conventional wisdom. Yeah. And conventional thinking will get you conventional results. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yep. And, and we're looking for something different there. Folks, you can find out more about what they're up to, what they are up to, what I mean specifically mean, uh, yeah. Sorry, Ibrahim, uh, thinkinglikeabank.com, thinkinglikeabank.com. And uh, we've got that in the uh, Sharon down at the bottom here. So 
check it out. I mean, this is, I mean, if, if you are interested in enhancing and improving the way that your wealth is showing up in your life, you have to start thinking like a bank. Yeah. Don't go to a bank. Think like a bank. Sorry, this was awesome. Uh, congratulations you. for all your success. And I can't wait to check out your podcast personally and do some more things. Thank you so much for stopping by tonight. Thanks. See you guys later. Thanks so much. Boy, that you're was, talking about That's great. I love that. Yeah. I, I was going laughing because my dog got yours going. <laughs> <laughs> it's just kind of – that's the nature of momentum. So when you start thinking differently, things start to move differently. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We have our third guest on. Yeah, our third guest, and I love the sequence here about thinking like a bank is different than yeah, different way of thinking. And yeah, yeah, your, yeah, her new book, Marsha Acker here, uh, build your model for leading change. Uh, so you've got to think differently in order to build a model. It's not you're not going <laughs> to build what was there before. So Marsha, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks, Blaine and Craig. Nice to be here. Thank you, Marsha. Yeah, and Dave sends his apologies. He's in Italy. Uh, it's uh, <laughs> coming up on one o'clock in the morning there. Oh. So, uh, yeah, you get a twofer here. You know, <laughs> uh, so this is definitely better than Dave. Give cool. him proud. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> we'll we'll get you back on a show where he's available. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> So uh, tell us about your book. Uh, first of all, I mean, just kind of, I'm always interested in authors. I've written five books and mm -hmm. you know, Craig, you've got yours coming out here. And I want to talk about that too, before we get out of here. Uh, but what was the catalyst for you? Mm -hmm. And you know, sometimes that's really, you know, there's something that just kind of, mm, and then all yeah. of a sudden it opens and it's kind of like, whoa, that's what it was. Yeah. What, yeah. What, what, what caused this for you? Mm. Such that you birthed the book here. Yeah. Well, this is my second one, actually. Uh -huh. So the first one uh, was about facilitation. And I'd say that was five or seven years uh, to, to get that one out. So yes, I, I identify with this idea of um, making something happen. This book was in a completely different process, completely different inspiration. And uh, it came to fruition in the span of about seven weeks. Um, from had no intention of writing a book to uh, a draft of it that uh, we did sort of a beta release of it last year and then the full release uh, this year. And it's the inspiration was um, working with lots of leaders. And, you know, I think we're all looking to lead change in some way. You know, we see uh, the situation A, and we'd like it to be B, or we'd like to go all the way to Z, but we want, you know, we want something to be different. And um, I work with a lot of leaders, and I think it's, it's my experience is we drop into things, and we're not always super intentional about how we want to lead change. So we, uh, you know, I think our default way of going about it is um, we tell people, I see A, and I want you to get to B. And so Let's, you know, let's go do it. So we, we tell people. And I think there's real art and science to how you go about um, inviting people to be on a journey with you. So bringing about change, like, you know, how do you bring about change? How does change even happen? Um, change happens in technology really differently than how it happens with human beings. So yeah. the, the book is a workbook. It's, it's really intended to be a guide for helping people think through how they, how they lead change. This That's is, great. 
this is so timely because our mm -hmm. personal brand is exploding right now. I say very humbly and we're scaling and I'm hiring. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I used to have this limiting belief, like who's going to wake up as excited about CLS as me, but that just is a limiting belief. And the truth of the matter is, is yeah. there's people that can do certain things much better than I can. And, and by allowing them to fit in, now they can spread their wings. And then also I can kind of stay in my zone of genius. And, you know, being an effective leader is a skill that can mm -hmm. be developed. I have this mindset, like one good way to lead is like the camera is always on, right? Like set the example. But mm -hmm. there's also ways to 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 transfer like encouragement and practice empathy and compassion and so forth. What are some characteristics that you've seen based upon your work and so forth that maybe that you talk about in the book that are really good for leaders to encourage others to rise with them for the ultimate vision? Yeah, Cricket. So I'd even take the example that you just gave of. Um, you know, the awareness that you're having of, you know, maybe I'm setting direction or I'm the one that's really passionate about it, but noticing uh, what I would say in my language would be leading from the front, but also leading from behind or, or stepping back so that others can step forward. And I think all change, everything that we do in leadership, everything that we're wanting to have happen, I think the core of it comes down to how are we communicating with one another? And does our conversation propel us forward or do we have conversations where we actually keep having the same conversation over and over again? And I think all of us could identify, I, I call it the Groundhog Day conversation. It's the conversation that you had today and then you have it again next week and then you have it again the week after. I think those are super frustrating. And so I think it's those moments where um, if we have better ways, uh, and I introduce in the book, uh, sort of a technology for making sense of conversation. I think if we can navigate conversations and do it well without judgment, like in a, in a morally neutral way, like that helps us propel something forward. It helps us be really clear and intentional about when am I wanting to make a move or when am I going to step back and allow someone else to make a move? And and that we need a balance of all of that. So mm -hmm. I, th I think at the core of all of that is how are we communicating with one another? Yeah, and you know, that's interesting. Yeah, you talk about making a move. You know, the speech mm -hmm. acts, you know, if I bring some of Fernando Flores' stuff in, uh, yeah. you know, the, the speech acts, that's, that's a conversation. I mean, that's literally a verbal conversation, but there's also the physical step in, step out communication mm -hmm. piece here. Um, my experience, and I'm going to just check this out with you, and then I want to take a take the thread a little bit uh, into yeah. a question. Um, most people, in my experience, are accidental communicators. Mm. Yeah, they they really haven't mastered the art of creating me common meaning, and that's I think you know, communication hasn't happened until common meaning has been established. Yes, and once we've got common meaning, we now have a platform that we can move together uh, from. Yeah towards something that we you know, kind of value. Yeah. How, how have you from, a, and this is the question that comes out of that, from a leadership perspective, mm. what's your um, modality or methodology for getting leaders to number one, appreciate that common meaning is the prerequisite to movement, mm. uh, uh, effective movement. Yeah. And, what do you actually bring into the conversations you know, that allows them to learn how to do that more effectively? 
Yeah, it's a great question. So you talk about speech acts um, in the book. I actually pull forward David Cantor's theory of structural dynamics, which is that way of looking at our speech acts at a pretty, you know, conversation is really complex. I mean, I I think in some ways the model of structural dynamics is simple, but the application of it can be can be really complex and it can give us handholds at various levels. And so the way I do that is by giving leaders that language of structural dynamics and then helping them apply it in their conversations, both individually and at a team level, because I find that it gives them a shared language for navigating things that are really complicated. Or when they, you know, Blaine, as you say that, I think there are many times where people feel like they are kind of talking past one another. Uh, somebody might be really high in meaning and the purpose or um, why we're doing something that'll be really important to them. And somebody else will want to move the conversation forward, but it'll be really focused on action. And so their dominant domain is going to be in power. And so you've got someone talking in meaning and someone talking in power. And without any kind of way, language or scaffolding to name that, it becomes about the two of them. And then the breakdown, I've watched breakdowns happen in CEO, COO relationships all the time where Mm -hmm. one has one language that they speak, the other has another, and they have no way of navigating that. And then the relationship just breaks down. So I I help give people the language that then helps it um, become less about the interpersonal dynamics and more about, oh, um, I know that you are high in meaning and I can bridge to that. Like I can start conversations with you and be more intentional about bringing in some of that meaning so that so that you can hear me and then then I might move into another domain. So Good. I think it's the shared language. Yeah, shared language. Yeah. You know, well, that, yeah, Craig? Yeah. This is great stuff. Uh, and I was just going to ask you, I know that you're really big on authenticity. Mm and leading it and so am I and I'm just really curious generally and I think this will be very valuable for the listeners for a leader or for anyone that's stepping in and trying to become more authentic and this was a big breakthrough for me when I reinvented mm-hmm. myself how can someone become more authentic mm-hmm. I so I use structure to do that so back back to structural language but I will often ask leaders to think about what are they walking away, like they leave a conversation, what are they walking away from the conversation with that they're thinking, but they haven't said. Mm -hmm. And I often encourage leaders to journal, you know, thinking about what would I have said? What did I hold back on? Where might I have made a move, but I didn't, you know, something about, you know, what was happening got in my way. And I think it's in that reflection of what am I thinking but not saying that then becomes the work to do. Um, You know, structural dynamics can help us navigate, like, what's the action that I might take? But I think, Craig, to your question, it's it's the what am I, you know, what am I holding back um, (laughs) that I'm that I'm not saying and why? Um, Because I think we'll have really good reasons why we do that. That's so good. There's always a reason. And if you can identify it, you can change it. Yeah. Yeah. So you can label it. Yeah. You're dead in the water. So I say all the time, awareness precedes choice, precedes change. So I do think that 
exactly what you just said about having that awareness is is half the battle. Love yeah, Fred Pearls a long time ago said, you know, awareness is curative. Yeah. And, <laughs> <laughs> and you can cure a lot of ills. So Marsha Anchor, um, we can find out more about you at teamcatapult.com. And yes. I love the title of the new book, Build Your Model for Leading Change, a guided workbook to catalyze clarity and confidence in leading yourself and others. You can get that at all the regular places, I'm assuming. You can, yes. <laughs> I ask one last bonus question because I love her so much and I'm just on this interaction. Um, we talked a lot about leading others here tonight. Mm. But what is a good way that you can lead yourself? Mm. I think, Craig, that you, the question that you asked a minute ago about, um, I think a lot of it is first about identifying where we're strong, like where we um, have preference, where we're strong at, and where we, what actions we use less. And I think that's the work to do first and foremost above trying to work with a team or influence anybody else, um, which is partly why the work, why the book is a workbook. It's a, it's intended to be a guided reflection. Good. Yeah. So good. Great. It's glad I asked. Yeah. <laughs> Find out more about Marsha. Go to teamcatapult.com and we'll have you back on with David next time. Perfect. Thank you both. Thank you, Thank you yeah. so much, Marsha. She's <laughs> great. So, drum roll, bottom. The typical ending of the show. What's your takeaway? I loved all of our guests, if I'm being honest. I just love yeah. the, the passion. The first one really stuck out to me with the, with the eco-friendly building in, in Denver. I think that's pretty cool. Uh, it piqued my interest, and, and I'm excited to see how that turns out. And hopefully, like he was saying, it's just the beginning. How about you? I you know, The idea of thinking differently. I mean, truly, I think that all three of our guests hit on that in some way, shape, or form, whether it was an eco-friendly uh, construction process or whether it was thinking, you know, like a bank, you know, just, you know, change how you think about your financial future. And then ultimately, yeah, how I think about leading myself and others. Uh, so thinking differently always produces a different result. It, it always will. So true. Yeah. This is awesome. Hey, Greg, tell us about your book real quick. Yeah. So as many of you guys know, I reinvented myself in the pandemic, the brand exploded and truth of the matter is, is I spent a very long time being out of alignment, unfulfilled and miserable. And when I when I travel a lot now as we're speaking more and, and I often ask the audience before a keynote, I'll say just a show of hands here, who here thinks or knows that they're here for something much bigger than they're currently settling for? Typically, everybody raises their hand. And yeah. so I understand that because I have contrast. I spent a long time there myself. So the whole point of this book at this stage of my life, after we've pivoted extremely successful, even if you don't like me, hard to believe I know. One thing that you can't deny is that we totally reinvented and had a great success with no experience. And it wasn't an overnight success. I had been studying personal development, neurolinguistic programming, Kabbalah, emotional intelligence, law of attraction for 15 years. I just finally put it all together and it's all in this one vessel. And like I said, it's what I know to be true today. And we started reading the book before it ever comes out with our, with our launch team and so forth. And so far, the feedback has been exactly what I want it to be. And that is that everybody reading this, it shows them that this is possible and they could really do it. And if you're not happy with one area of your life, you can change. And, and it doesn't take time. It just takes alignment. But how? And it's the strategies and the lessons and so forth. So the, the last thing I'll say is that 
This book isn't niche. It's not just for entrepreneurs or single mom or people in construction. It's for everybody that's looking to grow and get a little bit better in some area of their life. That's great. I, you, and I love what you said about, you know, you can change. It's about alignment. Yeah. What, what are you aligning? Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Great. Folks, tune in next time. Uh, David will be here. Uh, office hours. Uh, we do this every, well, three times a week. So uh, I've been very blessed to be with uh, Craig today. So thank you very much for joining. And uh, we'll see you next time. Blaine, thank you so much for having me. Always a pleasure. Absolutely, buddy. Take care. Bye, guys.